Dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, as we come together in this Labor Weekend Sunday, Labor Day Sunday, uh, in this Labor Day we decided to kind of interrupt our journey through the book of Genesis. As many of you know, we go through what we call the beginnings. God uh, makes a family. Um, and it's basically the life of Abraham that we studied. And we are going to uh, just take a break to, uh, today. And we'll pick it up in chapter 19. So if you want to read ahead, Pastor Ron will pick up next week, next Sunday, with Genesis 19, if you want to read that. But today we are going to focus on something uh, that uh, will prepare us, I hope, uh, for the coming school year. And it will remind us that God is an amazing God that we serve, and that He uses us in His plan. In a way, it fits well with, with Abraham, because God made a covenant with Abraham and today we see that covenant unfold, and we are part of it. We are included in it. So I hope that you will find ways in this morning, ideas how you can serve in the next school year, ministries where you can plug in and participate and enjoy. But also I hope that you will see yourself as somebody that might invite others someplace, either to a Bible study or to God questions or to Moms Connect, or Women in the World. There are so many places where you might say, I think my friend will benefit coming with me to this thing. So at the beginning of this school year, it's good to ask one more time and to be reminded who we are. Who we are as God's people, and uh, what is God calling us to do? Now I want you to imagine something this morning. Imagine that uh, this is just in our imagination, right? Now this morning I will say, and uh, the council will be here on the stage, and will say, no, this is a different morning. And uh, just as you have field trips at school, we are going to have mission day or mission field trips today. And it's the day of mission. And after the service, maybe even before we uh, do the sermon, instead of just going and listening to God's message one more time, we are going to do something different. Look to your right and to your left and pick up a partner that is not part of your family. And we are going to send you out two by two in the community. And we will come back at 6 o'clock tonight and we will gather here and continue our worship. And we will tell stories what happened. And you are supposed to go in the community two by two. You can take your car if you want. You can walk if you want. And you are going to knock on doors, go in stores, maybe go downtown where you work in your office and see maybe somebody's there. And you are going to pray with people. You are going to encourage people. And you are going to tell them the good news that the kingdom of God has come. Not too much, but just you are going to serve people. People that you never thought that you will meet today. And don't be afraid. The message is very short. The kingdom of God is here. Now, that's what Jesus basically does in our text this morning, in Luke chapter 10. And I invite you to just read it with me. The, the topic of our sermon is the three M's of cultural transformation. But look what Jesus is doing to do that. Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. 
he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send the workers into his harvest field. Go. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Well, you may say, wow, Lord, are we... Just put yourself in their shoes, right? What would you say, Lord? Do you want me to knock on doors? We know who knocks on doors, right? I'm not going to do that. Wait a minute. I thought that I'm coming to the church just to listen, to worship, to enjoy. I didn't expect that you would send me out, right? And then the Lord continues, stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the workers... The worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Can you put yourself in their shoes again and say, well, Lord, uh, you know that I don't like sleepovers, right? And by the way, you know that I have a good, well-balanced diet, so why would I eat their food? You know, you don't know what's in that. When you enter a town and uh, are welcome, eat what is said before you. Heal the sick. Who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Maybe here you'll say, Lord, I, are you overestimating me? Why? I mean, I can pray. Maybe I can pray for the sick, but you will do the healing, so I'm not sure what will happen, but I can pray. And then it says, But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into the streets and say, so you're, you're, you're going to be rejected. Go into the streets and say, even the dust of your own town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me Rejects him who sent me. So they go in town. And they come back. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, the truth is that we do live in a culture that is changing. Almost 20 years ago, in the late 90s, I came to this country as a seminarian. I wanted to further my education at Calvin Seminary. So we live in a culture that is changing because I'm telling you, in the beginning, when I came here in the late 90s, the culture was more open to the Christian faith than it is today. 
I still remember going to the Promise Keepers rallies, right? Those were for men. I still remember Jerry Falwell going to Van Andel Arena and having the talk about moral majority and all of those things. And I remember those things. I remember when faith was way more acceptable in the public scene. But the truth is, things have changed. And today we move toward the secular, humanist culture. It's secular because basically says we want to take faith and God and Christianity out of the picture. We want a secular, godless society. And we also it's humanistic because we want to replace God with human values. And the truth is sometimes the human values of the values are the values of the minority. Maybe 1% or 2% or 5%. And often they trample and win the cultural battles of our time. But you see, Christ and culture has always interacted. From the time of Jesus till now, we live in this clash or in this interaction, Christ and culture. How is one interacting with the other? What it means for Abraham that he will be a blessing, you see? We study Abraham. What does it mean that he will be a blessing to every family on earth, to every nation on earth? And Christ is building his own culture, and it's often a counterculture. And maybe you just remember that model, Christ and culture. And many people talk about Christ and culture, and there's books written on this topic, right? But I just want to remind you three things, you know, three positions on this Christ and culture. And see where we, the Reformed faith, stand. You know, there's one that says Christ against culture. And basically this position is a position of Christians that say the culture cannot give us very much. There's not much in the culture that can give us positive. And I grew up in this kind of a church tradition because in a totalitarian regime like in Romania, the communist Romania, the party wanted to control, total control over our faith and over our life. So therefore, we stood against the society and the culture because we said, no, we believe in God. We do not worship your God. We believe in our God. We sing our songs. We don't sing the songs of praise to the party. And then on the other side, there is Christ of culture. This is another part of the church that says, you know what? If the government says that this is right, if the Supreme Court or whoever decides for us that this is how we should look in the Bible, that's what we do. And that's okay. Because Christ is part of the culture and the culture is part of the church. So there is this Christendom idea that the culture and Christ are the same. But we Reformed people say we are someplace in the middle. We say we are Christ-transforming culture. Now, there are many, you know, advantages, and this is, but, but right, what we basically say is, it's a Kuyperian reform idea that says that we can have a Christian influence in culture. We, ha- we can have Christian schools, like the Free University, like Calvin College or Seminary, you know. There are Christian schools. We can have Christian media, Christian political parties, Christian art, and we can encourage education and all of these areas of life with our Christian values. So we are transforming little by little the culture. We bring our Christian values to the table. Now Christ definitely changes the culture. And I want you to see, and this morning I want you to focus on three things. You can focus on more, but, and maybe you will discover more. But now our text, I want to look at these three things. You know, First, that Christ transforms the culture through messengers. The second, that he uses a message that he gives us. And third, that he wants us to have the right motivation. You see, messengers, you can also call them laborers, right? 
That's why, in a way, I picked this text, you know, for the labor day. <laughs> Messengers are laborers. Messengers are laborers. So that's why he says, the Lord appointed 72 others. They were in addition, 72 in addition to the disciples that were appointed by the Lord. And you may say, you know, I thought that, I thought that the disciples are the ones that are supposed to be messengers and laborers. In fact, we are paying, Pastor Ron and Daniel and so many other staff people at Hillside, right? But if you look at chapter 9, in chapter 9, Luke talks about the sending of the 12, the apostles. And you can say, yeah, the 12 were paid, kind of, sort of, but they were not. But they were in the inner circle, they were the apostles. They were the clergy, the professionals, right? And if Luke would not have come with chapter 10, we could have said, you know, uh, see, I told you, it's the clergy's job. They have to do the service. They are the messengers. We are just worshipers. We just come on Sunday and we worship. But you see, it's not like that. In, in chapter 10, Luke says, Jesus sent out 72 others on top of the 12. And that's an amazing thing. You might say, you know, why? Why did he send? Because they said, I'm sending you out, Jesus says. 72 and appointed them as messengers. The word there is, I am making you apostles, but not as apostles the 12, but I'm making you bearers of good news, messengers of good news. And you might say, you know, why 72, right? What's the deal with the 72? And there's an explanation, and um, whether or not is the best one, I'm going to use it here. And it says basically that in the Septuagint, by the way, they say that in the Hebrew, 70 and 72 often are exchangeable. But there is this interesting thing. In the 3rd century before Christ, there was a translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek. And it's called the Septuagint. It's marked with L-X-X-X-70, right? And it's quoted almost 400 times in the New Testament. They quote the Septuagint. So that means that Jesus and the apostles accepted this translation from Hebrew into Greek. And in this translation, there is a table of nations. In Genesis chapter 10, remember? Genesis chapter 10 is basically Noah and his three sons and all of their children. And it's called the Table of Nations. And over there, there are 72 nations that are named. And basically the point that Luke wants to do, to make, and he makes it well throughout the gospel, is that the gospel is for the entire world. That everybody is included. So we may say, then how is it, you know, that God is using messengers? Is it only these 72 now? Did he use messengers before? Did he use messengers? And I would say, yeah. Just think of two. Noah, right? He was sent to be a messenger of God's salvation. And that's how he saved us. Just think of Moses, sent to be God's messenger to Pharaoh. So throughout history, God used this, this method. But remember this, there is always a, a warning to the messengers. Always a warning. God says, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. You know, sometimes we think that we are crusaders, right? That we have the guns and the armor and, you know, that we can go and conquer. Now, I'm, I'm, I came from a culture, Christian culture, that we were a minority persecuted by the communists. Almost exterminated, right? Because that, that, that's what they want to do. But we were reminded that our best chance, if you think, what's the best chance of a lamb among wolves? To die quickly without pain, right? And that was our hope. 
that when the time will come, we will just die quickly and without pain. We were not thinking that we are going to conquer the wolves, and we never wanted to be oppressors, to become wolves ourselves. You know, so that's why basically Jesus says that the cultural environment in which we live is hostile. It was then, it is today, to Christ's followers. We are like lambs among wolves. Maybe you don't like this image, but that's what he uses, right? And therefore, that's why we must depend on our good shepherd. Remember how even the psalmist recite Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, not, not, not anybody else. But there's this warning. So then you say, okay, if, if this is my, my purpose, to be a lamb, when do I become a messenger, right? When do I become a messenger? Well, I can tell you that you started when you were baptized. Then when you made profession of faith, and when you, all, every day you witness to Christ. But I will say this, when you make this switch, when you started to focus on the needs of others, when you started to see the needs of others more important than your own needs. And when you became an instrument in God's hand. Because your story is a unique story. You see, some of you are cancer survivors. It's wonderful when one of us has cancer. You are the best person because of your story. To go to that person to say, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me love you. Let me share what happened to me. If you are somebody that won the battle with addiction, you are the best when you know somebody is battling to go and say, let me tell you my story. Let me love you. Let me care for you. Let me show you how I got out of it. Maybe some of you are here alone. Your family is far away. So when somebody else comes into our midst and they are alone, they are maybe immigrants or whoever, whatever the situation, you can say, I know what it means to be alone. Let me walk with you. We all have these unique stories. And I want you to just uh, give me a minute and watch this, uh, this story of somebody who became a messenger. And how this person, I want you to focus on how this person became aware that he is a messenger too.
You don't need to be a missionary in the Amazon. You can be a missionary here downtown on the Medical Mile or here at Metro. You can be a missionary in your school where you teach. And you're a missionary at your workplace, in your family, right? But you need to make sure that you understand the calling of God to be a messenger. The second thing that he calls us to do, or the way that he used the second name, is a message. He gives us, and it's a very short one. The kingdom of God is near you. And usually when somebody tells you, make sure that you tell them this. I mean, we are usually scared, right? We are usually afraid. Well, why, why should I tell them the message? Why, why you know, this, what, if, what if I don't know the answer? What if they ask me something and I, I have no clue what, what to say? Jesus says, just tell them one simple thing. The kingdom of God is near you. And the message is the same. And the message God gave not only to us, but throughout the, the history of the prophets. Remember Isaiah? It says, go and tell. God comes to him, cleanses, and says, go and tell the message I give you. The same thing with Jonah. Go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, this is the gospel. The message is the gospel. The kingdom of God is near you. And the thing is, in the first century, in the first century, they used this term for many other things. And especially now after the Olympics, I just want you to remember this thing. What does it mean to bring the good news? Good news was brought, for example, in a war situation. In 490 BC, Persian came to fight the Greeks. And it was supposed that they will won, but by surprise, the Greeks won the battle. And they knew that they have to send somebody. So they sent a messenger, ran from Marathon, because the battle was at Marathon, to Athens. He ran those 25 miles about. He arrived there. He said one word. He said victory and dropped that. I was thinking I would have dropped that, you know, by five or six miles, you know. <laughs> but, but that's what he did, you know. So that was a message. Later on, you know, uh, if you think about, like, the gospel used in the, new, in the first century, there was an inscription found, and it says this in the first century. The beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. What does he mean, the gospel? They mean basically good news that goes out, and it says there is a new emperor, and the world is going to change because of this new emperor. He's going to bring his rules. And a new era has dawned. And rather than try to explain the gospel, I invite you to think of this. What does the gospel mean to you and to me? What message do we bring out? Let's watch this. The word gospel translates to news that brings joy.
the gospel means that you are free to go and serve others. Not only free from your sin, but you are free from your sin to serve others. Now think about the, the first image, right? The first idea that we will go out and just think about that it's 6 o'clock right now. And we come out from serving the people in the city. And maybe John will say, you know what, I, I went with somebody, uh, I met somebody at Meyer, And uh, we talked a little bit about God's kingdom and I share God's love and we prayed for that person. Somebody, maybe Mary, will say, you know what, I went to Metro Hospital and I prayed with somebody who was sick. And uh, Tony maybe say, I went to a family and knocked and uh, they had no food. So I showed them how to prepare my favorite dish. And we, saw, we had such a good dinner together. And Susie maybe says, you know, I went with uh, my friend and we went to the jail downtown, to the county jail. And we talked to some people. We give them hope. We give them the news that Christ is alive. Can you imagine what kind of a stories we will have at 6 o'clock? What sort of a worship would that be and thanksgiving? The same thing the disciples. They are not one day. They are several days gone. They come back and they say, Lord, they are excited. Even the demons submit to us. Lord, even the demons, not only people, but the demons. And immediately the Lord says, well, just be careful. Make sure that you do not base your motivation on success. Because it says immediately, it says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Make sure that you remember that he was full of himself, of his powers. And make sure you remember that pride goes before destruction. Make sure... That you remember that it is not yours to say, people obey us, listen to us, and we can help people. Make sure that you remember that. But you are an instrument that talks about God's kingdom, about my, my powers. So what's wrong with success, we might say? What's wrong with them bragging about the spirits and bragging about the miracles that they can do? Well, on the surface, there's nothing wrong. Success in ministry is good, but if you think that you have an impact, right? If you say, well, my powers are with me and I can cast the demons, right? Remember Matthew 7, Jesus says, you know, don't, don't tell me in that day that, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Because I will tell you, I never knew you. So the demons, the sign, the, all of these things that are exterior are important, but Jesus says it's not enough. Remember that you must never tie your self-worth on your success because that's a danger, First of all, you will hate people that reject you. Those that reject you, you will hate because you will say, they reject me, not my message. And second, you will start to manipulate and use people because you need to do this so that you look good, so that you have good self-esteem. So what does it mean that your names are written? Jesus basically said, yeah, it's nice miracles, but think of this. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's the right motivation, that you do not belong to yourself, that you are secure. You see, in our, you know, if somebody tells you, your name is written in heaven, in the book, we say, what? Well, it's not necessarily so relevant. But even in that time, there were cities that had books with people, and they only listed citizens. Not slaves, not non-citizens. They said, you have to be a citizen to be listed. It was very important to have, um, to have this identity. And basically what Christ is saying to them is, is this. You must make sure that your identity and self-esteem is grounded on what, on who you are in Christ. Not on your performance, not on what you do for Christ. When you come here at the church and you serve in ministry, in the nursery, in Mom's Connect, make sure that you don't take things personally. You are there to serve me, to serve others. Don't measure your success. Don't think that you have to 
win all the time. But make sure you come with uh, assurance that you proclaim a message that I gave you. And if people reject your message, he said, they not only reject me, but they, they reject the Father that sent me. As we leave this place this morning, I would like you to think of how you can plug into this cultural transformation that Jesus calls us to do. He gives us this message that he wants us to take with the right motivation. Where are you going to serve in this coming year? Who are you going to pray for? Who are going to love? Who are going to serve and, and care and show your kindness and gentleness and your Christian embrace? Let's look at this example here. Maybe it will inspire you. things this morning. Remember this before you leave. God uses you as a messenger, as a laborer. He gives you a message and he wants you to have the right motivation. So make sure you remember to plug in yourself, either as a volunteer, as a participant, or as somebody that invites others to Christ. Maybe you use this invitation or any other program that you want and you say, come with me. Come with me. There is hope. The kingdom is here. Let us stand and receive the blessing of the Lord. As we stand and we leave this place, may you remember that God the Father, through the love of Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, empowers us to leave this place as his messengers, to hold on to his message, and to make sure that we know that we are safe in his hands. Amen. May the Lord bless you and you may go in peace.